Alex Willard, thank you very much for taking my call and welcome to Radio Canada International. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you've just released a study on uh, an assessment of Canadians joining and supporting terrorist groups. Uh, Tell me what prompted you to look into this. If you look at the academic literature on the topic of radicalization and mobilization towards political violence, um, and if you especially look at the European and American context, there are quite a few academic studies um, and think tank studies that are trying to parse the difference, the um, national differences uh, between individuals who um, travel for foreign, um, travel as foreign fighters or participate in terrorism uh, domestically, but there's not really um, a similar sort of database or data set, uh, data set in Canada. And so the, 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 the motivation here is ultimately to better understand um, the kind of uh, national narratives that occur in Canada that help drive um, uh, mobilization and recruitment towards Islamist radicalization and terrorism. So what did you find? How is Canada different from uh, other countries around the world that have contributed foreign fighters to these various jihadist groups uh, uh, fighting in the Middle East? Right. So what what we did was we used open source uh, media reports, government reports, um, and other academic uh, publications to establish a data set of 95 individuals spanning uh, a decade, so 2006 to 2017. So within that, we capture a subset of the Canadians who have traveled abroad, but we also um, explore uh, many years of mobilization uh, before the rise of ISIS, which really was the the force um, for uh, the recent wave of radicalization. And what we found was that Canadians, generally speaking, um, are older, um, they're more educated, Um, They have less criminal motivation before the radicalization process. They're more ethically diverse um, than their European and American counterparts. So there is, I think there's enough evidence here to suggest that there's a a Canadian uh, type or a Canadian, uh, a a kind of larger Canadian biographical um, characteristics that inform this process that is distinct from the European and American model. It's interesting that you say they're older and more educated because um, there is this um, sense very often that, uh, you know, people who get radicalized are usually, uh, you know, um, less educated, younger, more impressionable young people. Uh, But that's different with uh, the, the Canadian and the U.S. recruits. That's right. I think so. The average age uh, from our set of 95 in Canada was 27, and when you compare that to the average age of many European cases, it's quite a few years older. Let's say three to four, sometimes five years older on average. Um, it's still in the in the range of 20s, right, late 20s, um, but it is uh, slightly different than the uh, European, although it, it matches what we see from the American data. And in terms of um, you know, enrollment in post-secondary, post-secondary education, um, you know, nearly, uh, actually over half of our data set have had some um, enrollment in post-secondary education, including uh, within CGEPT or university studies and, and, and graduate studies. And this is, this is a remarkable uh, difference, from, especially from the uh, European cases where very few of the data, of, the, of, the data, of those captured in the data have similar um, education. So how do you see this uh, research being used by 
you know, um, law enforcement agencies, I don't know, for preventing uh, radicalization? I think if we, if we start from the, from the point that Canadian radicals from the data appear to be older, um, you know, there's corroborating evidence in terrorism studies suggesting that motivation to participate in violence, political violence, kind of wanes as you get older. So it's very much a young person activity, not, not exclusively, but often it is. Um, and so one, one, one option here is to kind of build off that. If Canadians are already older when they participate, does that mean that they're uh, more inclined in the subsequent years to lead terrorism? And so the foreign fighters and the foreign extremist travelers that Canada um, is contemplating um, over, that are overseas and we're contemplating what to do with them, they may be, you know, because they're a little bit older, they may be especially um, able to renounce the violence that they've supported. Uh, they might be especially uh, amenable to rehabilitation. I mean, I think that's one question worth uh, exploring. But you've alluded to another issue, right? And that's to do with education. And so the link between education and political violence, support for political violence, including terrorism, um, that it's a long-standing debate in academia. I think generally speaking here, um, this report suggests that because these Canadians are highly educated by comparison, um, that, you know, again, that this debate and the link, the nexus between education and militancy should be reevaluated to explore whether or not and how um, education facilitates or um, maybe even accelerates uh, participation in militancy. So I think there's a lot of interesting questions, both from an academic perspective and from a practical perspective. Now, you talked about the possibility of them uh, renouncing terrorism or moving into, you know, kind of less radical or extremist ways of militancy. Um, how about the other side of the coin? Given that these people are older and more educated, is it also possible to assume that some of them more can assume leadership positions? Yes, that's also that's a good that's a good um, a good suggestion, a good assumption. Um, we know that Canadians have been leaders in certain uh, very dramatic uh, and very damaging foreign terrorist attacks. Um, and so, of course, if Canadians are older and then assuming leadership roles, then, you know, on a case-by-case basis, these individuals are probably less amenable to rehabilitation. Um, but all in all, um, the data would suggest that, by and large, um, there's at least potential for an opening for very unique and very Canadian-oriented um, repatriation and then rehabilitation processes that would be distinct, again, from the Belgian or German or American case because we have a Canadian um, narrative in this in this phenomena. Um, and so you would assume then that our response should also have this Canadian lens to it. Speaking about the response, uh, what do you make of... Uh you know, uh, the government efforts so far in terms of, uh, you know, your, your uh, research has identified, uh, uh, what, uh, close to 100 people, uh, you know. With my, re- my research was 95 people. 95 people. So uh, some of them have already come back. Others want to come back. What do you think should the government be doing with these people? I think the, um, the way that the government kind of approach this. Um, and this is, I think, in keeping with some of the approaches that our allies, especially in the Europe, in Europe have, uh, have, have approached the phenomena, especially now of the foreign extremism, uh, foreign extremist travelers, is to 
is to differentiate between um, those individuals who traveled uh, with the anticipation of uh, participating in violence um, against those, including women and some children, minors, who traveled not so much to facilitate violence but to facilitate the state-building exercise, and then again, minors that were born within the conflict. So we have to think of the Canadians, quote-unquote, that are living abroad, um, that have been captured or are, are being held in um, detention, either by Kurdish forces or by Turkey, or etc. We have to differentiate between the hardened ISIS supporters and then, of course, all the way down to the spectrum to the minors that were born, in some cases, within these um, in these uh, prisons, in these interim camps. And I think once we differentiate between that, then we can have a tailored approach um, in thinking about our Canadian response to the different groups. So for the, you know, I think most Canadians would agree that Canadians born in, in a realm of conflict, you know, they have no agency in how um, they were brought up, uh, nor sh- should they be, um, nor should they necessarily be harmed as a result of where their parents took them. But at the same time, we, we can't have a one-size-fits-all solution, um, in, in, especially in terms of the adults and especially the fighting, uh, adults who went in for fighting, um, for reasons of fighting. And so I think we need to have a policy that is very nuanced, an approach that is nuanced, carefully tailored to the individual, um, but that keeps in mind the larger trends that this report uncovers, the fact that they're older, more educated, were less criminally minded before the radicalization and so forth. Fascinating. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you very much.